Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... This episode of the Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Artwalks, kids' shoes based on kids' books. They launched their first line of shoes with six designs by three artists, John Clausen, Scott C., and Joey Chu. Get your own pair along with other great baby shower gifts by supporting them on Kickstarter. To check out their campaign, click on the link in the show notes for this episode at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast, or scroll down to find the link in the show notes displaying on the app you're listening to right now. Support also comes from the Highlights Foundation. The Highlights Foundation is excited to be hosting an important event this June 14 to 16, Building Cultural Competency in Today's Children's Publishing Industry, a working symposium. They've put together a stellar faculty of changemakers to guide you, including Edith Campbell, librarian and social justice advocate, Dr. Debbie Reese, educator and author, Renee Watson, author, educator, and activist, Paula Yu, author and TV writer-producer, Dr. Laura Jimenez, educator and reviewer, and Dr. Marisala Jimenez-Garcia, author and educator. Space is limited, so be sure to register for this exciting workshop symposium today. Visit highlightsfoundation.org slash programs. That's highlightsfoundation.org slash programs. Where is, um, is Centralia anywhere near there? Oh, I used to drive right past there to go, or not I used to drive, but we would drive past there to go to my grandparents. That amazing I... town that exists with like a mine burning underneath. Right. I mean, speaking of Stranger Things, right? Like, so. How has there not been like a picture book about that, right? The thing that's on fire. I don't know. Um, I think my my spouse definitely, and possibly my aunt has family who like lived in Centralia really briefly, like way really? back, way way back in the day. I guess, yeah. Helping is something people do. I feel like this is a truth we take for granted. Or maybe it's a strength we seldom acknowledge. Today's conversation focuses on the ocean, the beauty beneath the surface, and the effects of human impact. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 506. I'm your host, Matthew Winner, and today I'm joined by Andrea Sarumi, author-illustrator of Crab Cake. And Andrea's latest picture book, A Cake-Baking Crab Does Its Thing Among the Ocean Fauna, until one day having its world turned upside down when a garbage barge spills some of its load into the ocean. There's something Andrea said in our conversation that I'm still thinking about today, weeks after we spoke, and that is, in moments of extreme calamity, 
it is a human thing to help. Andrea's blend of animal facts with humor and a beckoning for her readers to look close is something that I think makes Crab Cake absolutely irresistible. I love her line work and especially love her handle of story, pacing, and visual storytelling. Please welcome my guest, Andrea Sarumi, author-illustrator of Crab Cake. My name is Andrea Sarumi, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am an author, an illustrator, and a cartoonist who makes books for children and also books for adults. And I was born in New York City. Sorry, I was born in New York. I lived in New York City for about nine years, and now I live in Philadelphia with my spouse and our dog, Spatula. And for those of you who don't know me or know my work, my first picture book, Accident, uh, is a ridiculous picture book about messing up and making it better. My second book, Crab Cake, came out this year. And I've also illustrated Girls Who Code and Not Your Nest, which also came out this year. In addition to that, I'm a cartoonist, as I said, and I've published a number of comics for for people as well. And thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I love that you write comics for people. That is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) People, non-people, you know, (laughs) take all comers. I worked originally in in the non-people market, but sales were slow, so I decided <laughs> to turn my attention to people. It's going much better. If you think about <laughs> it, the non-people market could be amazing. It's just you in a room full of tennis balls. You know? <laughs> like... And they really love those comics about the fuzz. You know what I'm talking about, guys? Mm-hmm. That fuzz that always comes off. Am I right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, cracks them up. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, by the way, two books in, you are killing it. Your books are amazing. Oh, thank you. I was waiting for you to be like, I'm on my 37th book. I'm really <laughs> honing my craft. Um, I thought from from the outset, from accident, I, although I don't, I mean, this tends to be what happens on the podcast. I don't do extensive research on my guests because I like focusing on discovery in our conversation but from accident, I was so wowed by not only that your cartoonist voice, but also your storyteller voice. It's so fun. And uh, just to, I mean, if, if not every other child reading this book with you when you visit schools, the um, as more and more accidents occur in your story, <laughs> the moment with the toucan happens to be a crab uh... pleaser around my butt. <laughs> <laughs> my agent loves the toucan as well. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Do you see the toucan at the end has got new pants on? Different pants, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I the treatment of all of the characters, it's just okay, so folks listening, um, in this book Accident, um, the main character spills juice on a couch and then like leaves the house because oh no, we had this accident. Um, I need to run to the library because that's where everything will be better. Mm-hmm. But as Lola runs there Lola continues to encounter other um townspeople that have other accidents not that Lola is causing these accidents but just that there there appears to be a cacophony of accidents happening in town today um only they don't appear to these folks to be accidents it is i ruin this what have i done my favorite line is i am the worst (laughs) (laughs) maybe all feel that way right like you know i am the worst Uh, person that has ever existed don't look at me anymore (laughs) don't look at me i i just i love i love the 
that you get to the point, especially as a as a person who professionally reads books to children every day, I love that you get to that point where um, I have to stop for like what feels like forever for the children just to read the art on your page because so much transfers from the the main character, the main sight line uh, happening on the page to just look at the entire town as falling apart. Oh, cool. Glorious. I, so, okay. So Andrew, here's the thing about me. When I talk about like writing books, I always say this is very unscientific, but maybe as a librarian, as a reader librarian, right from the other side, this might make sense to you who creates books. I don't, quite understand word count and what like the right word count is. And I know as a writer, I'm also told keep word count down, but as a librarian, I feel like your word count cannot exceed the length of time. It takes my reader Mm -hmm. to read the art. Oh, that's interesting. You can read as long as you want on those pages with a million billion things going on. You could have had like paragraphs of text and they would have (laughs) gone with it because they were, their eyes were reading everything that you put in that art but if the words ever exceeded the time it took them mm-hmm. to read the art that's when we get this like weird lag but oh, that's interesting the, the 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 tension of mr winner move the back move the book back toward me i'm still looking oh i didn't see that thing oh look at this <laughs> is the greatest that they just want i mean it's what it's what makes a library book be checked out for the duration of a school year after you read it a single time. Oh, that's great. Oh, There's I'm so happy. Everyone just that. wanting the, oh, I mean, so this is, anyway, there we go. I wasn't <laughs> expecting to go so far into talking about accident, but I think it's just because I really adore your work that much. Oh, thank you. And I mean, I have a library full of children that adore it likewise. Oh, thank you. It, it means, it, it means so much to me to be able to, kind of be a smart ass along with kids <laughs> and to <laughs> well, you know just be ridiculous and then also to talk about stuff that really does worry me and concern me like clearly my oeuvre of anxiety related issues <laughs> um <laughs> i love what you're talking about. like um i talk about this in uh, a workshop i teach in the summers about how you know like when you're you're making a picture book you're making comics it's basically the same thing with sequential storytelling you're using images plus text to create meaning right so the text is not supposed to do the any of the work that the art is also doing otherwise it's repetitive you know yes um so together it creates this third thing which is the meaning or the feeling or the contradiction or the whatever that works uh in tandem and when then stuff when the text is overwhelming the art or the art is overwhelming the, the the story like that's when it doesn't work and that's when the balance is thrown off it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard, I would imagine. And to hear someone who's doing both, the text and the art, say that it's really hard, let alone, I mean, I, I don't make art, I write, but leaving that room for the illustrator, leaving that room for interpretation and storytelling of their own um, is something that requires, like, it's taken me years to build a sense of restraint. And it is something I know I will continue working on forever. (laughs) It's as, as um, somebody who does both. I always, when I start a story, I think as I think of both, right? So when I write or when I'm running my books, I basically write by thumbnailing. So I'm writing by cartooning, you know, I have the text and the images going at the same time, but 
um, I can imagine as somebody who's primarily, you know, uh, word focused, like you have that extra muscle going, right, to describe and to, you know, set the scene and do all this stuff with words, which is incredibly hard <laughs> and incredibly difficult. I, f- I feel like if I just had to do it with words, it would it would take me, it would be like, you know, if you know one particular uh, medium to learn another medium, it just takes you that kind of uh, getting to know you period. So you know, it's just different. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm saying. It's just a different, uh, different tools in the tool toolbox, right? It is. It's probably why I got so comfortable writing comics because I I'm a visual thinker. I just can't draw what I'm thinking, mm-hmm. or maybe when I draw, it doesn't look the way I'm thinking it, which is probably a universal feeling. Oh. But when I write comics, I can exercise that feeling of describing panel or pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, planning for a page turn that way. There's just all these things that that allow me to sort of, for me, allow me to use my whole brain mm-hmm. when I'm writing. Whereas when I feel like I'm I'm working in picture books, I feel m- maybe my voice is more akin to chapter books or middle grade because I I I want to describe. I want to mm. build that help build that world. Um, I don't know. It's just neat. And then I'm my brain right now is going back to accident, thinking about how as you're planning out this town falling apart, you, you give space for every townsperson to have their own emergency that is unique and unrepeated (laughs) across the entire town. Um, There's, there are a few repetitions, which is when I absolutely ran out of accidents, I just stuck a whale through something. So every once in a while, you'll see like a whale or a fish that's sticking out of something. And that's me being like, I don't know. That's hilarious. I didn't even, I, I only ever remember seeing the whale once. So now I have to watch my, my, the one that always stuck in my brain was the, um, the um salamander looking creature with the uh like with the um neck caught in the skis right oh like it's, it's, no the or walking so whatever it is it's the two poles that are like yeah they're, two, they're i can't even picture stilts i think that are getting it's right Still, in front of the library, that's right? Still. so yeah yeah they're oh my gosh <laughs> I, I have to flip to find it i just remember the my son when we were first reading it thought that they were like giant chopsticks they basically yeah they basically that's are. what i remember the thing in front of the library yeah, oh, and then no, there's I'm a bag the with the Scotty flying by at the same time. Oh, that's funny. Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and all the flies coming out of the... Oh, goodness. <laughs> okay. But actually, we we connected tonight because you have this new book, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about this new book. Because this new book, I see that you're saying in an, an accident, you're like exercising some of those feelings of like anxiety-related issues. Mm-hmm. But in Crab Cake... I well before I say what I see would you mind just sharing what's your elevator pitch for crab cake when when you're telling people what it is Support for the children's book podcast comes from Storyteller Academy Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators and editors at Storyteller Academy Sign up today at storytelleracademy.com Support also comes from Bharat Babies. Bharat Babies produces children's books about India with a story for everyone. I've featured their books several times on the podcast and through blog posts, but now I've got a special offer for you, dear podcast listener. Visit bharatbabies.com and get $5 off any purchase of $19.95 or more when you use the code READINGISRAD. That's baratbabies.com, B-H-A-R-A-T-B-A-B-I-E-S.com. 
Offer code reading is rad. Okay, so crab cake is in a in the shortest possible way. Um, crab cake is a story about community coming together in calamity with the help of cake. Um, but it's uh, it takes place under the sea. There's a community of sea creatures going about their sea creature business, you know, doing fishy things. And then there's also this crab that makes cakes. And then they do their fishy things, and there's this crab that makes cakes. And then, you know, they, that's how they live. And then one day, a uh, storm happens, and a bunch of trash gets dumped on top of their reef, which is devastating. And they just freeze because it's so devastating, and they don't know what to do. And the, I guess, just to plow right through the plot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they all they're all frozen in in, in shock, and. Uh, crab does what crab does crab makes a cake and it, i i don't know if crab knows why but like then everyone comes together and then they figure out what to do and move forward um to uh take action and resist after that that's a longer description than i probably should give in an elevator <laughs> no, but let's know what you tap into the fact that there is this calamity the fact that I, we need to talk about your art in this because your art is insane and captivating and gorgeous oh, in this book you. from a from a person that we live right outside of baltimore we go to the national uh, aquarium all the time there are many 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 of these um undersea specimens that we have seen up close at the aquarium and to see how studied your art is as well specifically always in my mind is the lionfish oh. <laughs> the painting of the lionfish is just anyway but but what i wanted to bring out because our nation has gone through a lot of things in the past years, decades, centuries, right? I mean, since I've been a teacher, we've had hurricanes, we've had levees breaking, we've had forest fires, we've had just a lot, we've had immigration concerns, we've had all these things that have been happening. But what I see so beautiful as demonstrated in your book as well, Andrea, is that this this trash, this blotting out of of all the beauty and all the life, everything turning gray and dirtied, you you have a gathering together of community, and then you have an individual doing what that individual knows how to do best. The thing that Crab knows how to do is to make cakes, and those cakes please others or are or, or are an expression of love, of kindness, of, of caring to others, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that, that that is how Crab is able to mobilize, I think is not unlike what, what we do and what we look for. I, for some reason in my brain, mm-hmm. um, I'm hopping to that wonderful quote that always comes up at, at, at times of tragedy oh, the from Rogers Fred one. Rogers, yeah. right? The, the mom said, look for the helpers. <sighs> In that beautiful way, though, crab is helping. We think that cakes might just be this this extra frilly, fluffy thing, but there are moments when a friend just needs you to see them mm-hmm. or just needs you to sit with them or to have a cake with them or laugh with them. And I think that is is something that is so powerful about your work here, Andrea, that 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 felt so light at first with (laughs) what is almost like this information book about animals under the sea and crab makes cakes. (laughs) It's like a weird Attenborough (laughs) documentary. Yeah. But 
to to follow a story that I I knew nothing of where it was going, and on that page where the trash is dumped, you you write. Um, well, let me let me. Do you mind if I read a little bit? I'm gonna read into it if oh, you don't okay. mind. It, uh, we're breaking through different animals. It says, uh, "No, I'll go back here." We, you describe all these different animals, and you write. And crab bakes cakes. Snapper eats and eats and eats and eats. The venomous lionfish does whatever she pleases. And crab bakes cakes. So life goes on under the sea. Until one night, there's a big splash. And on that page, you just, you, you, I mean, you turn off the lights. Everything is shades of blue and green and and vibrant and, 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 and together. And then suddenly everything is awash in black and dirt. And on the uh, page following, which might be almost the exact middle of the book, there's just a heap of trash and no words and no light and no life. Mm-hmm. And that, to have not seen that coming, I mean, again, I can go I can go on with metaphor that I feel like this book is rich in. But for me, it was a little bit that same notion of like not realizing that that we're having this effect on the ocean to have it just be. I remember when I learned about the. Um, what are those like trash islands? Oh, the, well, there's the, the Pacific Garbage Patch, which is bigger than the, Texas. The Pacific Garbage oh, Patch. Yeah. Bigger than Texas. Yep. That all of the tides have sort of been just like pushing all of our trash or the floating trash into one island. Mm-hmm. When I learned about that, it was it was after high school. It was just, it was late mm-hmm. that I was learning about that. And maybe now that we have the internet and things are a little bit easier to circulate, we find out about it more. But it was that moment that I was brought back to, that moment of knowing that we read these books about how beautiful life is under the water. Um, but then to just be taken by 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 how humans are affecting things um was alarming and 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 it was it was just the right balance to have crab come back and be crab and bake cakes oh uh, thank you that that really means a lot to me to, to hear i was really worried about that turn and about the balance because I didn't want to you know <laughs> there's a universe where I was I was thinking like oh great it's gonna be this this funny book and then just massive tragedy <laughs> um slamming down the mirror like oh okay well well let's see how this goes so it went through so many drafts um to get that turn right and to also get the ending right um because to go back to what you said earlier um this is something that um, helping is something that people do. And I, I feel like, you know how people talk about um, disasters and there's this narrative of, of human behavior of talking about disasters and saying that like, it'll be like the purge, right? Like it'll be every person for themselves, you know, people being yeah. utterly horrible. And, you know, there's truth in that. Like people can be amazingly cruel and brutal and um, also, you know, incredibly uh, harmful while being very neutral to each other. We know this, right, in history, in our lives. Um, And they can also be incredibly creative and supportive and heroic and nurturing as well. And I read this book by Rebecca Solnit called A Paradise Built in Hell. Have you ever read it? 
No, I haven't heard of it. It's a 2009 book, and I was it was uh, I was thinking a lot about disasters. I was thinking a lot about mm-hmm. catastrophes that are you know natural, like hurricanes and um, tornadoes and fires, and you know also there's a human element in that, and then you know uh, human made like mass shootings and war and um, xenophobic policies and you know structural racism and sexism and all of this stuff, and uh, I was just feeling overwhelmed, right? Like. There are things that are so horrible, like it, your your heart just freezes and you don't know what to do, right? And I remember feeling like that as a kid over and over and over and over again, because if you, you know, imagine how paralyzed I feel now as a 34-year-old, like when I was younger, you know, I couldn't vote, I didn't have my own money, I couldn't drive, you know, like I, I was just a kid, right? And I would hear about things and I would be so worried about them. That would be very pressing, you know, on like a global level, like um, the whole in the ozone layer was a big narrative, right? When we were growing up. True. Um, And then also on a personal level, you just know, like, I remember being a child and just noticing like the wrong things that happened every day, you know, just how like this one kid was bullied because um, he spoke with a lisp or like this one kid, you know, nobody was friends with him because of this or even like smaller, more insidious things of, you know, your own friends say like, you can't be friends with this boy because you're a girl and what kind of choice do you have to make? So there's, it's never as easy as just being like, well, this is all good and this is all bad. Like it's all mixed up and confusing and difficult and hard. And so I was connecting my feeling of paralysis, you know, in in thinking about disaster um, now with how I felt as a kid. And this book was very interesting because it talks about in moments of extreme need in moments of true calamity, like the San Francisco earthquake or the, I think, um, early 2000 tsunami that happened in Indonesia, mm. it is a human thing to help. So in, in great moments of calamity, communities that are affected, like they don't waste any time in coming together and helping their own community. You know, people will start pitching rubble. People will start finding food. People will, that's when people come together and are like, what do you need? What, what do you know? Okay. I, I can get this for you. I can help you. And people really do this. And People do this like every day. Kids do this. I, you know, how often have kids waited outside of a bathroom stall while their friend is sobbing inside and, you know, reassuring them. Mm-hmm. They're like, they love them. Like there are right now, there are like a million kids across the world waiting outside of bathrooms <laughs> with distraught friends inside or like listening on the phone or texting each other messages of support. Um, or how often when, you know, in a community, someone gets sick, you know, everyone does that thing where they pitch in and they provide the social safety net that maybe their government doesn't provide or, you know, their circumstances don't provide and they get them food, they get them, you know, their kids looked after, they come together and help. And as much as it is a human thing to have, you know, um, these negative things about life, it is also a very human thing to be capable of great support and nurturing. And um, I think, you know, just heroic love and action right? And defiance. And I, I really wanted to celebrate that. And I also wanted to make a book about a crab. So <laughs> putting the two of them together, at first, like, didn't make any sense. It, you know, it was like, my thinking was, I've been drawing this crab, and I've been worried about this stuff and thinking about these issues. How does that work? And so the way I write is, you know, kind of put putting these both together and making a bunch of doodles and making a lot of mm. ideas and just kind of working through the the like the process of just putting stuff down on paper will like work through these ideas um, into something more coherent. And 
the it's like the darker the reality, like the more important the sillier thing is, right? So Oh yeah, the balance for sure is what makes this work. It's the hope. Right. Yeah. It's it's how dark things went. As soon as Crab came back, you you could just sense that like it will be okay. Cause this was a person that reassured us even when things seemed okay already, reassured us that things are okay. Oh, thank you. And like, you know how the, you mentioned the color palette changing, like, that was very, very deliberate, right? So in the beginning, the water I'm creating using a uh, watercolor texture and then the water c- texture uh, during the garbage scenes are all gouache. So it's slightly thicker. There's more particulate in it. So it's kind of a more schmeary, darker oh, kind of thing. Yeah. And I like the idea that you have this like very colorful reef in the beginning. And then when the trash comes, that all goes away. And then you get the color again when all the fish's colorful bodies come together you know, during the cake eating scenes. Well, when, it's, when it's them, yeah. right. Um, yeah, and they're angry, <laughs> which I like too, you know? Like it's not, they're definitely supportive. They're definitely kind and they're there for each other, but they're also mad. You drew faces of concerned fish. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and I like that it's, it's that they have, before they mobilize, they have a meal together to commune. And you have them saying, you're okay. That was awful. It was loud. I was scared. What do we do now? And some are saying this cake is good, but it's everything together, right? It's being in that space together. Mm-hmm. And Crab did that. Crab provided the space. Mm-hmm. And they provided, they, you know, created their own community. And one of the things I like about, one of the things I like about the book is that it's not one, it's not like Crab came and solved their problem for them. You know, like it, it crab did something, but shrimp also did something and clam did something and they all did different things together. <laughs> Wait, but before we go there, one of my favorite beats is um, ever, just turning the page with shrimp saying, all right, anyone have any ideas? It's <laughs> <laughs> like this, this community of fish with, with, with fins, but an octopus raises a tentacle. Like that is so good. Who would be able to raise? Like, that's so good. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, at that point in the book, you so desperately need a laugh that it came out in the... With giant eyes. Oh, it's so good. Thank you. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I just, yeah. the idea, right? Like, who else is going to come along? But just looking like wide-eyed deadpan to the reader is just... Oh, man. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you. So you went through these drafts. You went through that. Um, the 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 balance of of showing that community mobilizing. I guess where I'm coming from is just hearing that it sounds like you have always been an empathic kid, a kid that is alert to others and what's going on in the world. So if that is what I'm seeing here, you know, kid Andrea, all the way grown to adult Andrea, still communicating that everyone in this community has a role and, and is equally important just showing up or coming up with the idea or encouraging clam encourages. (laughs) Everyone has a role. I like that you balance your book. The symmetry of your book is that in the beginning as I, as I mentioned at the top of the recording, we're talking about all of these different facts about animals, facts that I'm sure you researched because these are things that some of them were, were 
shared knowledge that I had of, oh yeah, I know that to be true. Mm-hmm. I know this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then the symmetry of, of the animals going to help. And now we're, we're naming the animals again, but they're, they're, they're working to, to clean up the community. It's almost as if here's these facts that you probably know about animals, but also after this calamity, here's, here's something you didn't know that they're stepping in to help in this way. I just found it to be, it, it just was a really comforting and um, sincere moment of symmetry for me. Oh, cool. Well, well, thank you. I, again, like I'm responding to things that other people have done that have actually been, you know, um, you know, truly heroic and in life. Right. Like I remember uh, Hurricane Sandy happened and, you know, there were these um, elderly folks who were stranded at the top floors of their uh, uh, public housing. It was 11 stories, right? And there's no elevator. And, you know, the power was out for some of them for weeks. And because Occupy Wall Street had been in New York City and had this, like, you know, mechanism going where they, you know, they're used to organizing, they're used to working, they turned that organi- that organization over to helping get meals to those people. You know, they they were on the ground, so they did that. And, you know, there's a million stories like this of, of people who have done incredible, like vast networks of people who have done incredible things whose names you will never know, you know, or, you know, in your own life there, you probably have experienced, you know, moments of challenge where uh, your community came together and, and worked together this way. Um, I was reading for instance, about uh, in the eighties, I believe in, uh, so in San Francisco, there's like a, a big crisis. You have the AIDS crisis and um, it's a new disease and there's an enormous amount of homophobia going on. And a number of uh, of gay men who were dying couldn't get adequate medical care because people didn't want to treat them. And one of the things they couldn't get was blood. So the lesbian community stepped in and just helped take care of them and donated a ton of blood, you know, to help out the people in their community. Like, Folks really can step up in huge and small, <laughs> important ways. And I find that just so incredibly inspiring. Agreed. I feel like it's 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 the it's the quality that just constantly restores faith in humanity is knowing that that people are good and they want to help others and they help others selflessly. And for all of those thousands and millions of names that we'll never know of the helpers, the helpers are always there. Mm-hmm. That was, I think that was Solnit, one of Solnit's main themes was that people in doing these things, like they made friends and they, and they found other members of your community that they hadn't known before. And then they found the work of helping each other out incredibly inspiring to themselves, that they found it meaningful and um, moving to be able to work together in this way. And if you've ever been involved in like a, a momentary calamity, someone who's, you know, collapsed on the sidewalk or, a bigger calamities, hurricane, whatever, like you feel this too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait. I should, I get, I'm, I don't even know where I'm going with my, my, with my thought. I'm trying to articulate just that I can't wait for others to experience this book the way that I've not only had it with, with my students, but I'm realizing uh, just how, how much more profoundly I like your work Andrea, after talking to you, oh, after you. hearing the person behind it, I um, 
yeah, you've made such a beautiful book. And this is nothing to say for taking off the jacket and looking at the case cover and doing wonderful, fun things of playing with the book as a medium. Just, you just make good books, friend. <laughs> They're so good. And you're only on number two. I can't wait for like number four. 427 oh my i don't know oh, that's the dream <laughs> thank you <laughs> um I, I what what i really um can't wait for is just your future i think realizing in talking to you that you're just stepping foot in your career in children's books and that um and that with each new book you make um, that space on the shelf grows a little bit bigger of your work and of people knowing um, the way that you are reaching readers and really influencing humans that are going to grow up and and take care of us and take care of our world. That's a cool thing that that you've got not only the the focus of. <laughs> anxiety and and accepting things going wrong and knowing that we all freak out and that that's part of our humanness and that it's okay but also that um that there's great power in making cake <laughs> how about that <laughs> oh well <laughs> oh that is incredible <laughs> um thank you before Matthew. Listen, before we go, we talk about a lot of different stuff, but I, I want to make sure that 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 we covered all that you wanted to share about Crab Cake. Was there anything that didn't come up that you want to make sure that people, that listeners, that readers know before I ask you that final question? Did we miss anything? Um, there's something that I find really interesting, um, and it's not... Yeah. Um, well, I just find it very interesting. So, you know, there's the gender disparity of um, picture book protagonists, right, in, in mm -hmm. English language books, right? Uh, which is to say that that they usually tend to be male. Um, and I, I've noticed that you've been referring to crab as crab this entire time, which I thank you for, because crab doesn't have a gendered pronoun in the book, which is something that I talk with my editor, Kate O'Sullivan, about, and she was amazing about it. Um, because I was thinking about, I didn't really think of crab with a gender. So... Crab is just crab and in all of the book and all of the the copy and the promo and stuff. And it's been really interesting to see how overwhelmingly people refer to crab as a him in reviews mm. or in, in mentioning it. And I, this is absolutely something that I struggle with as well. The default guy, you know, um, yep. me too. It's, it, it's, it's a conscious effort for me to, refer to individuals that I don't know as they and them mm -hmm. to refer to um, non-gendered or non-gender claimed um, characters in books as just their, their names mm -hmm. or they, them. Um, but it's, it's, it's that awareness that is causing me to do it more and more trying to be really alert and aware to it. Mm -hmm. Cause that, you know, that the, if something has been the default for a really long time, the default is so hard to fight because it's the default. It's yeah. the default. Well, you know, you re you refer to it, you revert to it over yeah, and over again. Wired hearing that default over and over. Exactly, yeah. and the wiring is so hard to undo that at first, like it's annoying, you know, to undo it. You're like, why do I have to do it? But I remember, you know, growing up as a you know a girl and just thinking like, 
uh, like I had a friend of mine describe how when she grew up, uh, she would always play boy characters in games because um, there were no good female characters doing the kind of adventure she wanted to do um, that she could look to. So she would just be like, well, then I guess I'll just be a boy character because like girls don't do this kind of things. And it's it 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 causes great amounts of harm if you think about it, like to tell one group of society that everything is for you and tell the other others like nothing is for you unless it's special or or different and that's it does it, it's it's such a profound difficulty right when you take something that is what is basically a, an empathy engine which is books and art right putting you in the shoes of somebody who is not you um you know words written by somebody who might be dead or words written from the point of view of someone who might not be human right and and put you in their lived experiences so it has such books have such great potential to expand your empathy and expand your experience of humanity um and then to limit it that way is just so sad and upsetting you know so you know great casual button on the end of a wonderful (laughs) podcast interview um but it's just so you know no shade on the people who do it like absolutely it's something that i fight also i just found it very interesting and it's um something worth examining you know i think so too and it's something that i I've, I'm, we're going to talk about that, about my students in a moment, but it's something that I think about all the time as I read to them is just, is, is my awareness as I'm reading a book or as a child is responding to a book and how I respond back to that child. If they gender a character that, that doesn't have a gender, how I maybe gently steer um, them back to removing that gender or just referring to the character by name or uh, whatever. It's just, it's, it's such an interesting thing right. and an interesting place to be, but you do the work so that it becomes more normal for children so that they won't struggle mm-hmm. with it the way that we do, because they will be hearing it a different way. Um, Gideon, and that's a good thing. Gideon Stir, the author of Not Your Nest, the book I illustrated this year, like purposefully made the protagonist female to fight that kind of imbalance yeah there you go well so let's let's think about those children um and before i go also thank you thank you for your time and your amazing books andrea and just thank you for telling me that a whale every once in a while appears oh god yeah (laughs) when you just don't know what to do just look for the whale. (laughs) thank you so much for talking with me matthew and for you know really preserving all of this these uh this great you know, culture behind the culture that uh, we all can access. Mm. It's the greatest. It's the most fun. So I'll, I'll lead back to, to what I do it for and say that Andrea, I'll see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Oh God, this is so hard to think of because <laughs> I have so much, right? Um, you do not need permission to call out things that are wrong and to fight to change them. And there's power in noticing and acknowledging what you think is, is wrong. Even if people dismiss or deny it, it still doesn't make it right. So find your people and work together because you have more power that way. And also know that taking action takes a lot of practice. You know, you're not going to get it right the first time, but just keep going. This is Darshna Kiani, children's author and book blogger. 
Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.flowering-minds.com forward slash South Asian Kidlet. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out with the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Karina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us, too. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.